0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 261 of F Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a longtime listener and nature photographer, Jeannie Sumral Ahero. Jeannie resides near Fort Collins, Colorado, and has embarked on a journey of self discovery through photography, which is something we discuss at great length in today's show. Jeannie and I get into the weeds a bit on her past evocations but be sure to stick through our chat as there are some really valuable lessons to be gleaned from what she shares. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know that I am now available for mentoring, editing assistance, business coaching, and portfolio review. Over the last few weeks, I've had several people ask to pay me to help them with a variety of things, whether it be understanding search engine optimization, how to choose photos from your portfolio to print, how to set up your website for print sales, Or for advice on setting up a photography business. I figured I might as well make this something that's available to our listeners here on the podcast. If these are things you think you need help with, check out the link in the show notes to get started. Okay, let's get to the show. Jeannie a hero. It's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, been really enjoying having you in our after parties, uh, previously on Clubhouse and on Twitter, because I feel like you just, you always have some really great feedback and awesome questions. And and so it's been great to have you over there.
1: Oh, yeah, I really enjoy those. It's It's great to, you have some really interesting guests on, so I'm honored to be among them, actually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you you definitely intrigued my interest with all the topics you sent over to me. So that that always piques, piques my interest. So I'm, I'm glad we can make it happen. Yeah, thanks. Well, for, for people that aren't familiar with you and, and your photography, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Um so as you said, my name's Jeannie Summerle Harrow. And I say it that way because nobody knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> Including me, um, right? <laughs> well, you do now. You said it perfectly. <laughs> um So I live in uh, outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, in the northern Colorado foothills. I am married with no children. I have done many uh, jobs over the years. So I got my degree in computer science. I worked for Hewlett Packard as a software engineer, product manager or product management engineer. And um, when I got, let's just say I got bored with that and (laughs) threw all that away and became a massage therapist. And then ended up, we can talk about this later if you want, ended up teaching English in Vietnam, Uh, came back and did a lot of volunteer work for that organization that I went over with, and was on the side doing photo restoration. And I, I was trying to think how I made that leap. And I have absolutely no idea why I decided photo restoration, but that is how I learned Photoshop. So I feel like I learned Photoshop really well, way before I learned the basics of photography. And yeah, yeah. And to this day, I'm more comfortable explaining post-processing than I am beginning photography. I mean, I'm decent, but it, it still is, I'm more comfortable in Photoshop. And that was before Lightroom even existed. So I was, yeah. And I do Lightroom. I do both now. Yeah. So there was Photoshop. And then part of the, I was a member of a forum for the photo restoration. And in one of the chat rooms, somebody posted pictures of kaleidoscopes that she had made by flattening out a coffee filter, cutting a wedge, scanning that photo in. This was long before well, I mean, digital photography had to exist, but there weren't many digital cameras at the time. And um, and then she put it together in Photoshop. And I thought, oh, well, why do you have to use a coffee filter? You should be able to cut that out just in Photoshop. So I figured out how to do that, shared it with my sister, who's um, another creative that I enjoy sharing stuff with. And she's like, oh, this could be really big. She was into scrapbooking at the time. And she had the, somebody just wrote a book on this. We should we should try to do this. So that morphed into me creating some software that created kaleidoscope designs from digital photos. Started in the scrapbooking market because that's what my sister knew, and she was helping with helping me with this venture. But our very first trade show, there was three different companies there, um, all who had fingers in the quilting market. And each one of them looked at our designs and said, have you thought about quilting? And so after the third one, I'm like, okay, the universe is saying something here. Let's think about quilting. And at that same show, there was a woman who was selling inkjet fabric. Now, inkjet fabric is fabric that's been treated to hold inkjet dyes and make them wash so that you can wash them. Um, and it's fused onto a paper backing so that's how it's stiff enough to go through the printer so you can print right on the fabric and then you can take easily peel that fabric off the paper backing and you're left with an image on fabric so at the time most people was were using that technology to do memory quilts printing photos you know old family photos or, or could be recent photos, but it, you know, you've seen pictures of kids on pillows and that sort of thing, but this was a way that you could do it at home. But for us with the kaleidoscopes, in quilting, it's a really popular design, but it takes a lot of intricate piecing to get very intricate designs. And so we were able to create really intricate designs, print them all as one piece, and then all someone has to do is sew a square into a quilt.
0: And we're talking about what, what time period is this like the early 2000s 2004 is when i started the company yeah okay okay well yeah. we'll definitely uh go into more depth into that particular venture cuz i think that's going to lead into a lot of your your story but i i did want to go back and follow up real quick about your super interesting path you <laughs> you went on from you know software engineering, to massage therapy, to English teaching in Vietnam, and then to photo restoration, and then to quilt making. And then I'm expecting you to say that now you're the CEO of some (laughs) recreation company as well. So how- how Well,
1: that could could happen, but it's not currently on the horizon, but I wouldn't rule it out. (laughs) How
0: how, how did this path come to happen?
1: Well, apparently I get bored. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that's not true. I never get bored, but I love to learn new things. And I have what feels like like a 10-year, 10 or 12-year cycle where I do something for about 10 years and then I'm ready to do something else. Um, How I went from software engineering to massage, I I don't remember. (laughs) Um, But that was a big leap. I was really interested in health and wellness at the time. Um, I was part of the wellness program at at HP and Hewlett Packard, and I taught aerobics over lunch. And so I have a feeling it was that um, connection. And there was a massage school in town. It was just something I could do. Maybe I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, that makes sense. It's funny. My uh, my dad is kind of the same way when it comes to his hobbies. Like he was a photographer, and then he stopped doing that, and then he got into like pottery and like mastered pottery and then he was like i'm done with that and then he mastered like making his own indian flutes wow and he mastered that and he got done with that and then he started crafting his own beer and then he got done with that and he just like
1: yeah that's like oh
0: (laughs) i figured out how to do that i'm gonna move on
1: exactly (laughs) exactly and i'm hoping i'm really hoping that doesn't help him with photography but um Let's see. I've still got a few years before that might become an issue. But photography is so broad and there's so much to learn. Um, And my reason, I finally also feel like I have a a reason uh, for doing it, which is just finding myself. I was thinking the other day, um, you know, a lot of people talk about finding their style in photography. And I feel like it's not about finding your style. It's about finding yourself. And then your style comes from that.
0: I, but, I I I can think of many people who would agree with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's it's so esoteric, right? It's like <laughs> kind of hard to put your finger on what that even means.
1: Right. I th- I think first of all, I think setting it as an intention. You may not know what it means, but if if you think that that's something you're interested in, you could just think about it and then just put it in the back of your brain and your brain works on it and all of a sudden Years later, maybe, <laughs> could be months, but usually it's it takes a while. <laughs> I was going to say, for you, it's 10 years on the dot. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yep, apparently.
0: That's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah, tell, tell us about
1: uh, teaching in Vietnam. What was that like? Oh, gosh. Okay, so another thing I was part of when I worked at HP was they had a multicultural awareness group, and there was a woman there who – um was Vietnamese American. And she had, um, I don't think she had started orphanages over there, but she was helping to sponsor some of them. And so I did a trip over to Vietnam with her part of, as part of a group and just loved it. <clears throat> and so I, um, while I was over there, some of the Vietnamese officials that we met with said, hey, we need English teachers if anybody wants to come back. And I had always wanted to live in a foreign country, but had never really had the opportunity. Now, mind you, I'd been married for at least 10 years already, didn't have kids. But still, I mean, this wasn't like, oh, I can just get up and go. But I had already quit HP. So it, um, I came back from the trip. And I'm like, honey, um, what would you think if I uh, lived in Vietnam for six months? (laughs) And uh, many discussions later, he's like, if that's what you think you really want to do. So I I did. And um, I was in a small town that was about 100 kilometers northwest of Hanoi. And um, there was one other teacher there, a foreign teacher there when I got there. But he left um, maybe a month or two after I was there. And then I was the only white face in town. And it was really really interesting to have assumptions that to just to have the assumptions that i had about how life works kind of thrown back in my face mm. and i loved it i i never really got homesick um i was the first person in that town to have email at the time and getting that set up was wow that was crazy and and i paid for that but it was um more than my teacher's salary per month. Okay, my teacher's salary was about the equivalent of $30 at the time a month. Wow, yeah. So but they were providing me housing. Um, so really, all I had to do was buy food. And as an American, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal in terms of, of the cost. But just to think about how privileged I was to have just to have email. But even then it was the kind of thing where it's not like I was getting online and surfing the web. Oh no. I would write my emails offline and then dial in modem and send it right. and dial and and log off. That was it. Well, I mean, I would download emails too. Right. So that's like once a day. And even only doing that, it was still more expensive than a teacher's salary to do that. Wow. And
0: I'm going to try to create a bridge here because um, I do want to get back to the the quilt making thing. <laughs> and there's a whole story involved with that too, I think. But I'm going to try to weave some bridges here. So one of the things I was wondering about with the Vietnam thing and your history as a software engineer, how has any of those experiences translated into your interest in photography and what you find yourself gravitated Um, towards photographing
1: okay this is really interesting because I can't honestly I can't really point to those experiences inform my photography today but at the time um, yes I lived six months in Vietnam but I also did a total of nine trips to back and forth to Vietnam over the period of I don't know three or four years um and I loved taking pictures in Vietnam, which I think today would be, you know, travel photography, if you will. Um, I did slides. Um, the organization that I was doing all this through needed slides to do presentations for fundraising and that sort of thing. So it took a lot of pictures of actually of, of people, of kids at orphanages, of people on the streets in, in the towns, markets. I loved all of, I loved all of that stuff. But what's fascinating is that while I like taking candid shots of people, I do not at all enjoy portrait photography. Like, no, (laughs) just no. (laughs) But I still I enjoy taking pictures, like I said, candid shots, especially of children. But if I'm traveling, of of people as well. And then the only other thing I would say is just that my background in technology I feel has made it easier for me to learn. The technical stuff of digital photography.
0: Right, right. No, that makes sense. You're probably like, I know how to write the code for this program.
1: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I, I'm not, no, I wouldn't say that. But I grew up around technology. I didn't, I don't play game. I never played computer games or anything like that. But, but I think technically, and so, and I've always been able to figure it out. And therefore, when I'm, I've got a technical challenge with photography, I'm like, oh, I already, I come at it from the point of, I know I can figure this out.
0: Right. It's a problem to be solved.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's what I've heard from lots of people who are like used to be engineers or things like that is that the photography side of things was always, you know, the shutter speed and all that, like that was easy. It's it's the whole finding yourself and
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) Presenting my work in a way that's personally meaningful—that's the side that totally tend to struggle with. Totally. Yeah, you find yourself struggling with that today.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, don't we all? I think it's—I think it's all—I think it's always a challenge. But I think it's a challenge for—I think it's a challenge even for people that have come up through formal photography education or formal art education. Isn't isn't the whole thing of art and creativity? how do I express myself? Right. I think that you need to um, know the the tools well enough that those don't become a hindrance for you expressing yourself.
0: Right. And I don't know about you, but I think that's what keeps me coming back to photography is the fact that it's about me and that I'm always going to be evolving and my how I
1: see the world is always evolving and and That's why I'm thinking that maybe at the 10-year mark, I'll, I'll still want to do photography because it has evolved past the technical for me into a more exploratory.
0: Yeah. What does that, what does that look like when the rubber hits the road in terms of when you're out in the field making images? How, how does that look different for you than perhaps, you know, like, oh, I've always wanted to go photograph that spot. And how is this process a little different?
1: Well, one is, um, I while I do travel a lot, I um, it's not, I shouldn't say I travel a lot. While I do travel, I don't travel a lot. And so I have had to learn how to find interesting things in my local area. And instead of focusing on subjects, I focus on, well, this is going to sound really cliche, but I focus on light. And this is um, one of the people I'm going to recommend at the end. Eileen Rafferty, I, I watched a lot of her videos at b the b event space that are online. And um, she told a story of going out with a friend to do photography. And her friend asked her the question, what do you do when you get to a location? Because my photos never look like your photos. What right. are you doing differently? And she said, I just look for the light and it made me realize that interesting light can make the most boring subject look interesting so i don't tend to take photos of subjects i take photos of something that catches my eye which could be the most mundane thing like a blade of grass that's bent over in a, in a heart shape or yeah just the way that the dew is sparkling in the, on the grass in in backlit morning light or uh, brown grass, not even green grass, but it it catches my eye in a way that, Oh, this could look really interesting and not, it doesn't always. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that's part of the challenge. (laughs) How could I, what, what can I do to make this look interesting? Right. Yeah. And
0: I I appreciate you said that, that it doesn't always work because, you know, Oftentimes, something catches your attention, but you can't make a good photo of it, and that's okay. But I'm not sure about you, but for me, that approach kind of looks like play, right? Like you find something that's interesting, like, I'm going to go play with that for a while and see what that looks like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget, um, I was on a camping trip with another couple, and I had my camera with me, and I was like, I'm just going to go off for... A little bit and and take some photos and I found this flower I don't know if it was an aster or a columbine I, I don't think it was a columbine I think it was more like an aster I mean these are simple flowers right yeah. and I was just spending time with it and apparently I was gone for two hours because they're like I come back and they're like what were you taking pictures of I'm like a flower like a flower <laughs> for two hours oh yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. just
1: trying to think okay what other perspective could i get on this you know how much depth of field what could i put around it what could i put behind it yeah just yeah
0: <laughs> i had the same experience a couple falls ago i was i was in like a really somber mood because i had just gotten a phone call someone called and told me that jack curran had passed away mm. that day and i was in like a really sad mood about it um and so I just started walking around in the forest and I came into this kind of meadow that was surrounding a beaver pond, kind of over by Twin Lakes. Yeah. You know, they know that area at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I found a flower there and it was late September. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised to even find a flower to begin with, which is why it probably caught my eye. But yeah, same thing. It was like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, super direct light. But I think I, I had... Had the idea to bring like a, you know, those white cloths that you use to diffuse your light, like yeah. on a softbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I brought one of those with me so that I could hold it over the flower and diffuse the light. Totally. I just had my macro lens, and I just made pictures for like two hours of this one flower. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it cheered me up, you know. It was like it took my mind off yeah. of what was going on, and and it was just a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you are able to find joy in that process, and and hopefully you do stick with it more than 10 years.
1: I, I think I'm I think I'm going to, but I'm doing everything that I can to to ensure that I do so. And what I mean by that is, um, if I start going down a path and I realize I'm not enjoying it, I pull back and I look at it and I say, okay, why am I not enjoying it? Do I have to do this? Um, I'm not a professional photographer. I have sold a couple pieces, which I guess makes me professional, but I don't, that's not my goal. My goal is to use it, uh, photography as, as a creative outlet. And so, um, because I have, because I'm lucky not to have to make money off of the photography, um, I don't have to force myself to do things that, that would make me hate it.
0: (laughs) Well, and I'm, guessing, and we're going to get to this soon, but I'm guessing that's based off some really powerful personal experiences that you've had, um, where you've probably you're recognizing something in yourself that you want to avoid.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do, just for curiosity, what uh, what's an example of something that you're pursuing something you're going down a path and you're realizing it's not fun? Like, what's an example of that?
1: Okay, it's kind of a hot button. So don't don't <laughs> Um, Instagram. Oh, I sure. I have been on Facebook. Well, I was on Facebook for our business. I can't tell you I love Facebook, but I'm comfortable there. But as a photographer, you know, you hear, oh, you should be on Instagram. Oh, you should be on Instagram. And then, okay, I know everybody's going to Twitter. Let's not even talk about that right now. But, but this is, and this is just recently, I felt like, okay, if I'm putting myself out there, for example, oh my gosh, I asked Matt if I could be on this podcast. I have got to get my photos out there somehow, and so I'm trying to think. Okay, I should I should build up my Instagram feed. I can't tell you how much I how much I struggled with that, and and I did not struggle technically. Okay, first of all, it drove me crazy that there's a particular you know four by five format.
0: Right, you can't post the like, two why? by three.
1: Why can I not post my photos, how I create them? And yes, I know. I know how to like split it up and do the panoramas. You can, I mean, I know all that stuff.
0: It's such a terrible platform for And then the
1: other thing is (laughs) that I really enjoy sharing my process, my thought process when I make a photo that I, that I went through when I make a photo. And I learned that Instagram has a 2000 word limit. You know what? A lot of my descriptions are more than 2000 words. <laughs> and and I, I had a set of photos that I was going to post. And, and this was just like three weeks ago. And um, they were ready to go on Monday. And on Friday, I still had not posted them because I was just so resistant to it. And okay, it got so bad that I was crying myself to sleep over the decision okay and at that point i'm like clearly this is not working (laughs) clearly there has to be another way i am i'm just not doing it and so i I, because i had the photos ready to go actually the next morning i did post them but i no instagram's not for me and so i i don't really have huge goals as to where i want to go with my photography all i know is that um it is a huge creative outlet for me, and I don't want to do anything that damages that.
0: What you just described is somewhat tragic, but <laughs> I also really, really appreciate what you just said about not wanting anything to get in the way of your ability to use that as a creative outlet. Yeah. And I, not to get on the high horse or whatever, but I often find that people have the wrong reasons for using some of these platforms. Or maybe they think the platform should do something that it doesn't. Um, well,
1: I don't I – I think most people, and I – uh, 10 years ago, I would have been in – I would be in this camp, aren't thinking about why they're doing something. They're doing it because – You're right. <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, how many people say, oh, well, you're a photographer. Why aren't you on Instagram?
0: And then you've been like, oh, you're right. Yeah. I should do that.
1: <laughs> well, no, I wasn't. But I'm like <laughs> – but I'm like, why? (laughs) Right. But if, if you're going into photography and and you don't know any better, you're going to think, Oh yeah, I should be on Instagram. Right. And it just, I, I think it, it is very much worth your time. Anybody's time to sit down and figure out why you do what you do.
0: Yeah. Super important.
1: Um, and and to figure out whether that's going to be sustainable or not for you.
0: I totally agree. I mean, um, not to use my friend Kane as an example over and over again on the podcast, but it just always comes to my mind. For a very long time, he was really focused on selling his work on however he could. And, you know, he would always ask me about like, how do I do this on Instagram? How do I do that? How do you do this? And And he just hated it just like you're describing, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's such a waste of my time. And and then he just decided one day, and I'm so glad he did, but he just decided one day, like, I don't care if I sell my work, you know? Yeah, I just want to have fun with photography and enjoy the process of making photos. and And yeah, he still posts on Instagram, but it's like the title of the photo and maybe like one sentence, and then he hits post, and then he might respond to your comment if he's feeling like it. You know, like, it's not, he's, he's breaking all the rules of how you're supposed to post on Instagram, right? But it's like, right. that's because those rules are written for people that have very specific goals. And if you don't have that specific goal, and there's nothing that says you have to do it that way, right? Right.
1: That's exactly right. That's so, exactly right.
0: Yeah, it's, um. so that's what I meant by like, I think people are, you know, yeah, it's okay to be on Instagram and only post once a year. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Like the Instagram police aren't going to come to your house. (laughs) But
1: yeah, I mean, understanding what your goals are for being there is huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well let's build that second bridge and you just, we just kind of did some great foreshadowing with, (laughs) with this conversation Um, because I understand you went like on the deep end into this fabric printing business and, I want you to walk us through briefly, um, like how deep it got, how quickly, and then what was okay. like the seminal moment of where you realized you're done?
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, I, I wouldn't call it a fabric printing business. That was part of it. It was really a software business. Gotcha. So it was a software business that I was selling into the quilting, well, crafting, but mostly quilting markets. And therefore, it had to be on fabric. So um, now, if you remember, I am a software engineer right. with massage therapy and also English teaching as a background. So now I'm in a market that I know nothing about.
0: Right. But how hard could it be? If you've done everything else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do believe that I can figure things out. Right. So I, I kind of jump in with all feet. And, um, but because I didn't really know what I was doing, I had to listen to, I didn't have, I didn't have to listen to advice from other people, but I solicited advice from other people trying to figure out what do people do in this market? Um, I mean, I was so green at this. I knew how to sew, but I did not know how to quilt. And so my first sample, cause you have to make examples for people, how are quilters going to use this software? Um, I went to a local quilt shop and I was describing this project that I wanted to do. And I said, okay, I've got four squares. I know it can sew them together. I said, but you know when you have to sew all the layers of fabric together? <laughs> she looks at me and she says, you mean the quilting? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. It'd be like and- a photographer going into <laughs> or someone who doesn't do photography going into a camera store and like right. buying a camera and they're like, You mean push the shutter? <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so um she and at that point she's like, Let me give you someone's name because apparently in the quilting industry, um, I didn't know this at the time, but there's the piecing, the sewing of the squares and other, you know, all the fabric together. And then the last step in making a quilt is the quilting. So that's when you've got your three layers with the batting and there are people who make their living off of quilting other people's quilts. So that was a really good thing for me because, um, I didn't, while I knew how to do that part by the end, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, So there was, I went into, let's, to make a really long story short, I went into this business, not really knowing where I was going. And I just looked at what other people were doing and thought, oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to do that. So one of the things I figured out that I needed to do in order to um, market the software was... I figured out print ads didn't work at all because people didn't understand what it was. They could see a pretty picture, but it didn't mean anything. So I got involved with doing um, PBS crafting shows. So I would actually, um, and you can probably find them online, (laughs) um, demonstrate how to use our software. And I learned pretty quickly that there was two things that we needed to show. So I could do this usually in about a three to four minute slot was a quick demo showing how the photo turns into the kaleidoscope. that gets the, the kid reaction. Like when when you were a child and and you were playing with a kaleidoscope, it brought back memories of that for people and and then showing the end product of then how do you use this image f- to make a project? Could be a pillow, could be a bag, it could be a quilt. I mean it could any number of things that are, are fabric related. So as I was coming up with project ideas for all these different TV shows, I mentioned I get bored, right? (laughs) So (laughs) the project started becoming more and more complicated because I needed to be inspired. Yeah, But that doesn't work for a three or four minute slot, right? And so Uh. there was one point where I was making this really intricate shawl or something like that. And I remember thinking to myself, who are you trying to prove yourself to? And I couldn't answer the question, and I knew at that point that I would keep pushing and pushing and pushing because there would I would never know when I had proved myself or succeeded. It never, it it just was never ending. And I mean, at this point in time, so this is ten probably ten years into it. At this point in time, um, I was working eighty plus hours a week always feeling behind always thinking if i just work more if i just work more i'll get on top of it and i never got on top of it and around that time my best friend called me she was on her she was driving to the airport and she said Jeannie, i have to tell you as your best friend i am watching you kill yourself oh, wow. you have you have to stop and she's in tears and i'm in tears and i have no idea how i'm going to stop because I mean, at this point, this was our livelihood.
0: Right. And your husband was helping you run it.
1: And mm-hmm. at this point, my husband like it had... was
0: all hands on deck. Yeah. It was like yeah. your life, your entire life was wrapped up into this thing.
1: Yes. And so it took me at least two years of trying to slow down to realize that there wasn't really a way to slow down. And the only way to slow down was to stop altogether. And so I decided, um, I mean, and I mean, it's not like my husband didn't see me <laughs> struggling as well, right? I mean, he he was doing his part of the business was all the technical side of it. Um, so doing tech support, which I could not do, because I was doing the creative side. And I couldn't, thank God he, he's, he joined me in the business because trying to be creative and then also having to answer the technical support questions was, was crazy making. Um, but I finally looked to him and I said, I, I just need to take a sabbatical. I need to take a year off and figure this out. I remember there was um, before we had that discussion, there was one time where I was so stressed. It was coming up to, we, we had um, two really big trade shows each year that, you know, you're expected to always come out with a new product. Okay, that was another thing, right? You know, you always come out with new product twice a year. Right, <laughs> That's like, what you do. Like Apple. <laughs> Never questioned it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I should have questioned it, but I didn't. Um, and so, and, you know, coming out with a new product, and then I would have to come up with samples that were using the new product. Because um, we always had, we did add-ons to the basic software and that kind of thing. And um, he's like, we need to go camping because i was just so so beyond stressed i can't even tell you and as soon as we got up to rocky Mountain national park which is just an hour away from us i could feel the adrenaline drop and i because i could i for weeks prior to that i could not figure out how do i make how do i make this stop um and as soon as i got up there i could feel it drop i'm like oh thank god <laughs> Thank goodness that that at least this, I know now that I I can make it stop if I just make the adrenaline stop, just if I just get out in nature. So that was a huge wake up call there. Um, but I eventually just said, I need to take some time off. And he wasn't quite ready to give it up yet. He did <laughs> one more show on his own and he came back and he like, goes, okay, I'm done. <laughs> 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 um and and so he he kept up with the the tech support and we kept selling the software, but I just I wasn't working on any new creative products or or anything like that um and that the first thing I did when I decided, okay, I'm just not doing it anymore was sit down and do a two lists. First list was what part of the business? Have I been doing that I actually still enjoy? And it was pretty short. Design work. I like designing. <laughs> uh, that's all I remember <laughs> from that list. And uh, the other list was, what have I been doing that is sucking my soul dry, and I need to stop doing that. And so um, things like the the marketing, the the sales. I mean, basically anything that goes into running a business and promoting yourself, I, I just don't enjoy it at all, which is why I have a hard time imagining trying to make money from photography because a business, it's it's more than just taking photos, a lot more. And And if you don't enjoy that stuff, you either have to figure out how to hire it out and trust someone else to do that work or you have to figure out how to make it work for you. And I right. just hadn't.
0: Yeah, so that's and the a, other, that's a massive story of just burnout.
1: I was so bad. <laughs> and, and so when I say I don't want to end up hating photography, it's like I don't want to do anything that gets me back to that burnout state
0: ever. Like Instagram.
1: Like Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's true for me. I'm well, not saying that's true for everyone, but no, that is totally. absolutely true for me. And there's no
0: right or wrong, you know, answer to that. Like if, if you know, it doesn't add value to your life, then why do it? Right, right. Huh.
1: Yeah. So, um, the other, the other thing I thought long and hard about, I mean, I listen to a lot of, let's call them motivational videos on YouTube. Um, I found Brené Brown. Her stuff was instrumental in in helping me, and I would watch I would watch her videos, especially her TED talks. I would watch those on repeat. They're <laughs> good. Okay, I just need to get this into my brain. I just need to really understand this. And um, another one was um, Simon Sinek. Yeah. He had a he has a TED talk on finding your why, yep. and that was really interesting because I realized one. I had gone into the whole software business. I didn't have a why. It was, oh, maybe I could make money with this. That is not a why. That is not a good reason. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can, but if if when it's going to get tough. It will get tough. And if you don't understand the deeper reason as to why you're doing it, you're not going to have that to help push you through the hard parts. And um, so I came up with my why as I want to help other people on their own creative journeys through my photography. I love that. And and so for me, it's not about the image itself that helps people because maybe not everybody does this, but I did this for sure. Is I would look at a photo and I would be like, oh, I suck because I can't make photos like that. Whereas now I know all of the thought process that I put into a photo, sometimes it's planning, sometimes it's not, but when I'm making a photo, there's a lot of things that I think about. And so I like to write about that when I share photos, because most of my followers on Facebook, they're all from when I was doing was in quilting, right? So they're not, some of them are other photographers now, but when I first started, it wasn't. It was just sharing, this is my creative journey. And I am just happened to have chosen photography at this point. But I can't tell you how many people would thank me for sharing that. And some people say, well, I don't fully understand everything you were saying, but I really appreciate that you put this much, that you shared that you put this much thought into it. I had no idea that that's what it took to make a photo.
0: And if I can't even take it a step further... And don't take this the wrong way. I mean, it's a positive thing, but I really appreciate how selfish you're being. Like,
1: I'm being very selfish.
0: <laughs> I think, but I think that's important. I think um, when you're doing it for you and yourself and what you're motivated by, I think that eventually will pay off, like in terms of your work, but also, more importantly, how you feel about your work.
1: 100%. 100%. Yeah
0: well what role did nature photography play in your recovery from your burnout
1: well i live in an area that's right next to an open space and so when i would go out with my camera i mean nature is right there um and i love hiking i i i love the open space that we live next to i love the you know seeing it in different light in different seasons it's always changing and um just being out there, as I already figured out from my <laughs> when I was really bad, um, helps calm my nerves if I'm feeling anxious or anything. I, I'm, and, and I think the good thing about photography is that it, it helps me to focus and be mindful so that I'm not out walking with my mind still ruminating. Mm-hmm. If I'm out with my camera, I'm actually searching and looking for something that catches my eye And so it's all, I don't want to say it's a meditation because that my mind is very active, but, (laughs) but it kind of, it is, it is a a focusing point for me to know that I'm out there looking. And I don't even want to say that I'm looking for a photograph necessarily. I'm looking for something that catches my imagination.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had a open space and, you know, I used to live not too far from you in Colorado Springs Mm -hmm. and I lived really close to the airport down there yeah and there's a really big open space down there called Blue Stem open space Um, okay and then there's a reservoir in the Uh middle of it and a bunch of prairie dogs everywhere and stuff and i used to love just driving down there like way before sunrise and just walking around and trying to find interesting subjects to make an image of and i think i went out there maybe 20 times at least um which doesn't probably sound like a lot but it was a lot for me to go back to the one same spot. To go back to the same spot, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the longer you do that, you start noticing more things that captivate your imagination. I remember photographing a coyote, some barn owls. You know, I never got a good photo of any of it because I didn't have mm-hmm. the right gear or whatever, but I um, still had fun drying. And, yeah. Of course, you get that really big open view of Pikes Peak out there. Yeah. And- I don't know. It's just like you said. It's meditative. It it gives you. I don't. The word I was going to use is distraction. But you know. It, but I think it's both. It can be a distraction, but also gives you something else to focus on that's not. Yes. You know, weighing on your mind heavily. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's definitely the place that I go when mm. I'm when I need to get out of my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I'm in my head a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and I understand. Uh, you actually are
1: working on a project for for that open yeah. space, is that right? <clears throat> so, um, you probably know we had a big wildfire here two summers ago. My husband and I were up at State Forest State Park, which is on the just over the Continental Divide, up um, Highway fourteen, and the last day that we were there, the Cameron Peak Fire started, and um, we were on a hike, didn't really know anything was happening. And we were, let me just say up front, we were never in danger because the wind was blowing away from us. Um, but my husband wanted to go all the way up to the continental divide. And I had my camera and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to hike that far. I want to play with some photos. So we hiked together for a while and then we split up and, um, I just told him, I said, I promise I'm going straight down the way we came. I'm not going off the trail. (laughs) So if I get lost, well, I, I wasn't planning on getting lost, but I didn't want him to worry about, you know, if I wasn't there at the campsite when he got back, I didn't, I didn't want him worrying. So I come back down into the campground by myself and I see this huge smoke plume on the other side of the ridge and on the drive up, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much beetle kill. I, this, if this ever goes up, it's going to be really bad. And two days later it went up. And, um, so we, like I said, I, I kind of freaked out for like 10 minutes before I found a ranger and he's like, the winds blowing the other way i'm like oh right if the wind if it was coming towards us we'd be engulfed in smoke we are not engulfed in smoke right now we're okay so i was able to calm down <laughs> um and we spent the night and then had to drive home actually the long way you had to go up through wyoming because the road that we came up on was burning um anyway this fire was 37 miles from our house as the crow flies and i remember thinking oh you know, it, it's going to be, yeah, I, I, when they said long-term wildfire, I did not know what that meant. Long story short, over two months later, we were evacuated for that same fire, 37 miles away. And so we spent some, uh a little over a week at a friend's house in, in town. And there was one night in particular where the wind was really bad and we looked out and we could just see orange glow all, I mean, it looked like it was right near where our house was. And we'd already had, we'd been evacuated for wildfire back in 2012. And I had, I don't want to say come to peace, but acceptance of the fact that, yes, we live in a wildfire zone, we could possibly lose our house in a wildfire. You know, to come back after that fire, you kind of had to do the mental gymnastics to know, okay, I'm, I'm okay with this. So I had done that. But Somehow I had never put two and two together and thought, oh, we would also lose the park, or at least the park would burn. But that night, seeing that orange glow made me realize, oh my gosh, we are in serious jeopardy of this park that I love so much going up in flame. And so um, luckily the wind switched directions, park was fine, but I realized that I needed to do a project capturing the park through my eyes. Now, yeah, this was two years ago. Um, and actually, can I can I read what I wrote on Facebook after that experience of that yeah, night? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, so this was after we had we saw the glow and then my husband and I got in the car because I just I just needed to get closer we could go to um, there was a reservoir between town and where the fire was and that road was still open so we were able to drive up there and I could see okay the mountain's still there you know our neighborhood is fine um, and I was able to go home and go to sleep but the next morning I, I wrote this and I said how do you hug a mountain Last night, the weight of the emotions I'd be carrying all day came pouring out when we looked west towards home and saw, an orange, and saw an orange glow in the sky. The fire started about 37 miles from us as the crow flies. Who would have thought that more than two months later it would be breathing down our necks? I know they said that this would be a long-term fire when it first started, but I'll admit I had no idea what that experience would actually be like. We decided to get in the car and see if we could drive to a different vantage point. I just felt the need to see things with my own eyes. As we looked to the west, we could see some points of light off in the distance. At first, we thought we were seeing one spot fire along with a bunch of emergency vehicles. But it soon became obvious that... That what we were seeing were a bunch of little fires dotting the hillside in the valley just over the ridge from ours. But Horsetooth Mountain itself was untouched and it brought some comfort. The wind had shifted, pushing the fire back on itself, so I knew the mountain would be okay, at least overnight. As we drove back to where we are staying, I started to imagine the reunion we'll have in our neighborhood when our evacuation orders are eventually lifted. I imagine there will be lots of hugs, COVID be damned. But how do you hug a mountain? As I pondered the question while lying awake last night, I came to the conclusion that maybe I had it backwards. Instead, I will walk along my favorite trails, hug my favorite trees, and sit on my favorite rock and let the mountain hug me. Hmm. So that's the basis for this project. Mm -hmm. I do find myself getting stuck because I don't... (laughs) It's like, how how do I capture everything that's so important to me. But I, I had a friend help reframe this for me. And she goes, because I feel like the, the place has, I, I, what I've been thinking is the place has an emotion. How do I capture the emotion of the place? And she said, what you're doing is infusing your emotions into the photos that you're taking. And that is coming through those photos. And it it was a good shift for me and helped me get past the stuckness of it because I'm like, okay, I know I know how to do that. <laughs> um, or at least I think I do. E- even if I'm just feeling the emotion, if I don't know technically, like how do you translate peace or calm or love or, or hope or anything like that? How do you, there's no technical setting for that.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I'm gonna set my oh what are you shooting at? I'm shooting, I'm We're shooting gonna do I'm, hope today. <laughs> I'm I'm shooting manual. What about you? I'm I'm shooting hope and joy. Exactly. Oh, okay. Right on, that's cool.
1: <laughs> um but I know for a fact that um so this particular friend has has started writing poetry and I can I can literally feel her emotions in the poetry. Mm-hmm um and yeah that's words but it it's not the words that are doing that it, it's it's her and and so i know that that it's possible to do that and i don't think that everybody that looks at a photo that i take where i've you know thought about the emotion that i that i have at the time and and are putting that into the whole creative mix of of how i'm taking a photo um not everybody's going to feel that same emotion i'm not expecting that at all. But I do know that my neighbors feel emotions from my photos because they've told me. I had one neighbor, there was a picture of a tree. It's a, you know, it was just a tree in winter, but it was a massive snowstorm. And because of it, the snow was everything behind it. Normally, you can't get a picture of just the tree because there's so much stuff behind it, Be- because the snow is like fog, everything disappeared. I got just the tree and, you know, just posted it on Facebook. This was a, a while back before the project even was an idea. Um, and he said, can I please have a copy of that photo? And I saw it, it made me cry. Um, and, and it's because it, it wasn't just a photo, but, but he has meaning of that particular tree, you know? So, um, and just recently I took, a, there was a the planet parade, a couple of, I think it was in December, um, you could see all the planets in the night sky. They were all oh, lined yeah. up. Yeah. And so I went down to the reservoir at the end of our um of our development and I did a panel of the at, at Blue Hour. So you could see the reservoir and you could see some Christmas lights from the neighborhood across the way and and then the stars and everything. And one of our neighbors um had moved away maybe two, three years ago. I think it was before COVID. But Again, I posted on Facebook, and she sent me a private message, and she said, could I please have a copy of that photo? I have not missed the neighborhood until I saw it. And so I, I know that for the people that are connected to this place, that they feel the same way I do. And, I think- and that just makes me feel good.
0: I think what you're, what you're talking about is really important for people to hear because oftentimes, and I find myself doing this as well, we get so focused on how do I make pictures that people are going to like or that are going to make me famous or that um, are going to become popular on social media or win a competition or whatever. Right. But I think nature photography can be so much more than that if you let it be. And, and I think what you're describing is a perfect example of that of how you're super personal local work is making an impact on you and people around you and the places that you live in. And it's not about all that that other external noise.
1: Right. Right. Um, So I I still, this is going to be a long-term project for me. I think Um, certainly there is, uh, there's not a deadline, but there is the threat of a wildfire at any time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so i i don't want to say oh i have all the time in the world because i might not that said uh, i haven't been out in the past few months except down to the reservoir because it's been mud season since january what the heck is that
0: (laughs) welcome to colorado right
1: usually usually it doesn't start till march though
0: (laughs) i know it's been a weird year
1: um, and they tend to, they haven't closed the trails. It's surprised me. They haven't, they tend to close the trails when it's too muddy because it just trashes the trails. Um, luckily I can go out, there's viewpoints from my neighborhood into the open space and I can go out with my wildlife lens and do intimate landscapes and, um, or down to the reservoir. I've been having fun taking pictures of ice just to keep myself interested in various things.
0: <laughs> do you have any, um, aspirations or plans of what you want to do with this project
1: in I would love to make a book um and I don't I haven't talked to the county about it yet um but it would be cool if it could be like a fundraiser or I don't know I'm not I don't want to do a book because I I want fame and fortune but but if my book could If others feel the same way about the park that I do, and I know that there are many people who do feel that way, um, I just think it would be cool for the local community. If anyone
0: from Larimer County is listening.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I I can talk to them because I'm a volunteer photographer for the Natural Resources Department, so it's not like I don't have connections. (laughs) Well,
0: you're going to send them this podcast, and then they're going to be like, Of course I am, yeah. (laughs) Uh. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It's, um, I mean, I I feel like there's so many lessons that you just taught us with even the last hour of conversation about reframing what what it is our purpose is in photography and why are we taking pictures to begin with? And, you know, why are we so obsessed about Instagram and all of that other stuff? Like, yeah, Yeah, a lot to chew on. I hope so. (laughs) I mean, it is for me. I mean, I have lots of reasons for engaging on social media, but sometimes I do question, why do I feel like I have to post something today? You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's not like someone's holding a gun to my head. Better post the photo, Matt. People are going to forget about you. (laughs) You know, I don't think that's how it works.
1: Well, probably not. And, And I mean, I think the people that, I think one thing is to figure out, you know, who are you trying to reach? Through social media, yeah. and for me, it's you know I can call it my tribe. That's a little cliche, but it's people that I've known for years um, through the business. You know, completely different industry, but still a creative industry. Right. And um, and I just like to share what things that I find interesting that I think others might find interesting too. Yeah. And if they do, great. And if they don't, that's okay too.
0: I do it for form and fa- fame and fortune. I do it for fame and fortune.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> See, now you have, now you know.
0: I'll let you know when that happens, which probably will be never. So, no, it, I'm just kidding. It, I don't do it for that reason, but sometimes I think we are motivated by some of those extrinsic kind of validators.
1: Well, because I I think society has told us that that's important.
0: Right. Well said.
1: And I, I don't subscribe to that.
0: I'm with you. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this puppy up. Okay. Who would
1: you recommend our listeners learn more about? Okay. So first person is Dave Showalter. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's a conservation photographer and, Um, he's the only one in my list that I've actually met in person, (laughs) but I met him on Mount Evans. We were both taking pictures of pikas and snow ptarmigan. Um, and he told me that he, um, at the time, and I'm I'm assuming he's still working on this, he's trying to, um, document the species that are threatened by climate change. And so the pikas and any of the, well, pikas and snow ptarmigan who are, you know, living 12,000 feet and above are very much at risk of, um, what's the word? Extinction.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think for the pika, it's because they, for whatever reason, they can't survive in heat. Yeah. And they, that's why they live so high. And when it gets hot for longer periods of time, they just can't survive.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, one of the days I was up there last summer, it was 65 degrees on top of the mountain, yeah. which is at four, you know, 14,000 feet. That's insane.
0: And that that particular... Not the side project this, but that particular one is impactful for me, you know, growing up, I spent almost every summer climbing mountains mm-hmm. and i spent I've spent a lot of time at those elevations, and I used to call those little guys my cheerleader,
1: yeah, they're awesome, I love them
0: <laughs> they make that that really awesome sound, yeah, and, it's really yeah, cool, <laughs> and they're just so fun I don't know
1: they're they're awesome, <laughs> I love them, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so Dave Schalter, um, okay. Next person would be Karen Hutton. And I learned of her when she spoke at the Sedona photography symposium last year. So that was a virtual symposium. Um, but I was just really taken with her talk. I think her talk, the title of it was finding your creativity or something like that. But in the middle of the talk, she talked about the power of awe. And there are literally people um, studying awe and how it is an essential part of the human experience. And that the more awe that we can experience, the better our well-being. But as photographers, of course, um, you know, awe is what causes us to want to take a photo a lot of times. And so if we can tap into that, I feel like there's a lot of creative potential. Anyway, I loved her talk. And the cool thing is, She's also a voiceover artist. So talking to her is just really fun.
0: <laughs> that is cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see. Christy Odom. I just heard of her um, through a PhotoPills YouTube class. Uh, she's a wildlife photographer and an Nikon ambassador. Again, I don't know her, but I think she lives down down in Colorado Springs, maybe. She's in Colorado now. And... Um, yeah, she has a great story about how she married math and photography. And um, because her background is in mathematics. And really, I just think it'd be fun to hear her story. Okay, um, I already mentioned this name earlier in the podcast, but Eileen Rafferty listened to I have listened to almost all of her B&H event space presentations. And she is not a landscape per- photographer per se, um, but she has a degree in fine art photography. And so I find that listening to her take on um, like how to, how to see shapes in the landscape, let's say, but you know, she doesn't talk about it from the landscape, but how do you see shapes? How do you find light? And, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things like, okay, we know the side lighting, we know backlighting, you know, all that kind of stuff and soft light and, reflected light all the, it but it's not it, she wasn't really talking about that it was um a, a much more general view of of from an art perspective so like if you think of a, a painter and how they see light I'll, I'll never forget um I do not have an art background at all <laughs> um everything I've learned I've learned through YouTube <laughs> just about <laughs> um but I went down to the Monet exhibit in Denver uh, I think probably three years ago and I'll never forget seeing those paintings in person and the way that he captured light. And I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've, I've seen that light. How did he do that in paint? Like I, I think about, I mean, that's what you do as a photographer is you see light and you try to, to make a photo of it, but, but he was doing it with paint and it blew me away and it made me realize that there's looking at all of the arts, can really help inform your photography. And I feel like that's where Eileen comes from a a more artistic background. Gotcha. Um, And then Sean Tucker, who is a YouTuber from uh, Great Britain. And um, he was another person that I listened to a lot when I was in my really dark days. And he has a whole playlist of more like Phil, he calls them philosophy, but you know, one of them's called Embrace the Highlights, and the other was like, um, no, sorry, protect the highlights, embrace your shadows. But that those were two different ones, but it was it wasn't just, you know, you can you can think about that in photographical terms, but this was more of a of a life lesson kind of thing. And I just find his style of video very uplifting awesome. and, and always gives you food for thought. Holy- and he's written a book on creativity, which also is I've also read and really enjoyed. Awesome. Okay, that's it.
0: (laughs) Well, Jeannie, this has been a lot of fun.
1: Thanks so much, Matt. It's been great.
0: Well, thanks to Jeannie for the great chat on the podcast. I'm so glad that you made yourself vulnerable for this conversation, and we're able to share some of your experiences with our listeners. I'm sure that there are at least a few listeners who got a lot out of today's conversation. If you did enjoy it, please take a moment and leave a five-star review for the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It really does help a lot. Additionally, if you enjoyed our chat, head on over to Patreon, where Jeannie and I have a deep, candid, and thoughtful conversation about the dangers in comparing ourselves to others in photography, including a bit of a rant about a recent article that I wrote about deception. So if you're not supporting the podcast on Patreon and this topic is of interest to you, you might want to check it out. For just $5 a month, you can support the podcast on Patreon and gain access to hundreds of hours of bonus content. Thanks to those that already have, you're the best. Lastly, if you feel like you, I can help you slay a dragon that you've been trying to slay in your photography or your photography business, please do head over to the show notes and schedule a time for us to sit down for some one-on-one mentorship. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.